So I've actually counseled 20-somethings who made that election several years ago, and they're still dealing with the words that they put on the affidavit. Mm. They're still dealing with, I lied. I hurt my other parent because that's not really what I wanted to say. Probably the thing that I hate the most for these kids is they're told, all you have to do is come with me to my attorney's office, sign this paper, and you can live with me. And they have no idea that that only works if both parents agree, right? Mm -hmm. If the parent who doesn't want that to happen decides I'm going to file a motion in court trying to stop this, and it's an 18-month court case, then I have the child in my office saying, had I known it was going to take all this time and create all this problem, I would have never signed that paper. Mm, I, you know, I never had thought about the that, that. I had never heard that before, that you've been counseling kids later and they're regretting what they signed on that paper. Mm -hmm. um, that's a that's a perspective I actually never really considered before. So that is uh, wow. That's it, Another example why everyone should be listening to your show. Are you frustrated with your co-parent? Do you sometimes find yourself hoping that you and your co-parent will one day get along better than you even did in your marriage? Or more secretly, wish your co-parent would meet with an untimely or maybe painful demise. <laughs> it's okay. We understand. But I'm afraid that neither of those fantasies are helping you move on with your life. We think this podcast will help you learn how to put those fantasies in the past. In each episode, we address difficult dilemmas that many co-parents face and will help you decide should you hold on to the conflict for the sake of the kids or let it go for the same reason. These issues are often complicated, but the solutions can be easier than you think. So get ready for this unconventional ride. You might be surprised it could change your life. Welcome to Co-Parent Dilemmas, where we give you practical solutions to those impossible co-parents. I'm Diane Dirks. And I'm Rick Voiles. Good morning, Rick. How are you today? I'm doing very well today, Diane. How are you? I'm good, because where I live, it's about 75 degrees. Oh, it is nice and outside. I talked to my mother last night, and she's in Ohio, and they've had snow. So Ugh. I'm feeling pretty good about living at the beach at the moment. So. <laughs> This morning, we're going to talk about a topic that is kind of specific to Georgia where we live, but not necessarily. I just know that in Georgia, when a child turns 14, they have the option to elect which parent they would like to primarily live with. Right. Most of the time, the judges will go with that, but the judges do have the uh, ability to listen to facts in the case and de determine whether that election is in the child's best interests or not. And there's several criteria that judges can use. But from where you and I sit, oftentimes parents use that age as a time to say, aha, finally, when my daughter's 14, she'll choose me over mom or choose me over dad. And we often think that's a terrible idea to do that yeah. to a child. It can and cause some, a lot more problems. Yep. Sure. And sometimes the grooming of the 13-year-old, Yep. you know, in six more months and four more months and two more months, or even the, you know, I'll buy you a car if you choose to live with me when you're 14 kind of coercion. 
So we expressed this issue to our friends at Meriwether and Tharp and Lee Meriwether and Todd Orson do their own radio show and podcast. And we were invited to come on and talk to them. So today's episode is an excerpt from that, that I think that our listeners will really find helpful. So you can hear it here, or you can access Divorce Team Radio, wherever you get your podcast and listen to the full podcast there. We're going to do maybe a 20 minute excerpt here for our podcast. I think you all will enjoy it. Okay, great. We are doing something we've never done before. We have brought on the co-hosts of another podcast today. We are very fortunate to have in studio with us, Dr. Rick Boyles and Diane Dirks. And we are talking about Co-Parent Dilemmas, their new podcast, which is a great resource for any of our listeners that wants to go a little bit deeper or needs some specific help on their co-parent situation, even beyond the divorce process. Okay, so we're going to talk about really, in some ways, a hotly debated code section in Georgia. And there's many points of view on this code section, but it has to do with the election ability of a 14-year-old child, because we all know that 14-year-olds know exactly where they want to be in the in the, in the world and, and, and have fully <laughs> developed brains. And, and gosh darn it, they should also be able to drink at this age and elect to <laughs> And drive. And drive, yes. And so. vote. <laughs> So, hey, Todd, do you want to break down um, sort of what the Georgia law is on on this election statute? Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you. I mean, I'm I'm far from 14. I don't know if I should be making all the decisions I make. So <laughs> so a 14 year old, probably not. But yet, like you were saying before, in Georgia, we do allow a child to make what's called an election. We have people call all the time. They're like, well, my child, can my child elect? So what does that mean? So. A child as young as 11 years old can have input regarding physical custody, not specifically parenting time, but but custody. In essence, who they would like to primarily live with. And in Georgia, it starts at age 11 and then it goes to the age 14 and and and, and beyond. So uh, the way I sometimes explain it to people is as the child gets older, their opinion carries more weight. So if an 11-year-old is explaining to a judge, this is what I want, the court's going to look at that and go, okay, you're 11, I hear you, all right, 12, a little bit more weight, 13, 14, where you can push all the way to, let's say, 17, and I've seen judges look at a party, and maybe it's not the best fit, but look at the the party that would be losing that primary custodial role and say, what am I supposed to do? This is a child that is 17 a heartbeat away from becoming an 18-year-old where the court has no jurisdiction over the child. And therefore, unfortunately, I think we need to allow that 17-year-old to do what they want. So at age 14, a child can elect which parent they want to be their physical custodian. And Georgia law provides, and I'll read it, in all custody cases in which the child has reached the age of 14 years, the child shall have the right to select the parent with whom he or she desires to live. The child's election for purposes of custody shall be presumptive unless the parent so selected is determined not to be in the best interests of the child. And again, that's pursuant to a code section 19-9-3A5. Uh, so 
if there's a current court order concerning custody of a child, the election of a 14 or older child may also constitute a material change of condition or circumstance sufficient to warrant that modification of custody. And so the, this isn't an absolute one, but a presumption, what that does is it shifts the burden of proof. So someone walks in with an election, they have to presumption that it's in the best interest of the child that that child get to live um, according to their election. I'm talking about primary custody. It's a rebuttable presumption, but for all practical purposes, it is something that is extremely difficult to rebut. And it's uh, in rare, rare, rare situations. But there is another point of view on this. So we, we've got a legal point of view, and I, I'll share a couple examples later. But Diane and Rick, I know that y'all have a different perspective on the damage that this election situation could cause for children. What What is your perspective on this election statute? We'll be back after a quick break. The heart behind the I'm on podcast is storytelling because every mom has a story to tell. I know that when I talk to my friends who are parenting and we share stories, we all end up feeling less alone and more capable of loving our kids well. You can find information everywhere on the internet. Some is bad parenting advice and some is pretty wise. We like to think there's a lot of wisdom on imom.com. And when you combine that signature wisdom with a great story, it brings parenting to life. We want a mom who's listening to see herself and her kids in these stories and rest in the confidence that she is the perfect mom for her kids. Check out the iMom podcast with new episodes every Monday. Well, there's several and you know, I think it's real important to say that each case needs to be taken on its own, but some of the dangers of this being such a presumption or that most judges, I think, will tell you that they go with it. And like you said, it's rare that they would not. There can be a lot of underlying things going on. For instance, I know from talking to many teenagers, they often will side with the parent who they're trying to get unconditional love from. In other words, the parent that I feel unconditionally loved by, who's really my solid, stable parent, I'm okay with disrespecting them and siding with the unstable parent because that's the one I'm trying to get love from. And so that happens quite often. I see it a lot with dads and daughters. You know, maybe dad was working all the time and he wasn't really uh, paying attention to the daughter. And, you know, in that preteen teen stage is usually when a daughter wants the most attention from her dad. And making this election, in her mind, is how I'm going to get my dad to love me, which doesn't really work. So oftentimes, these elections in a 14-year-old's mind is trying to get that love I was never able to get, which really has nothing to do with what's in the best interests of the child. And one of the things that's really hard for them is once they make the election, they realize that it really wasn't they, what they thought it was going to be. Well, dad promised me a car or dad said this would happen. And then they get there and realize, okay, I got the car, but I didn't get my dad. Mm. And so, you know, you see those kinds of things happening and they're kind of heartbreaking. Or I've had a case once where 
the daughter said she wanted to live with the other parent. And then when she changed her mind, when a guardian got involved and she actually went there for a summer and had changed her mind at the end of the summer, then the, the parent was very angry with her and told her, actually told her, you owe me $10,000 in legal fees for doing this. So talk about a kid getting caught up mm. in. Wow. You know, yeah, that's a terrible thing to say to her. She was 15 by that time. So that's one aspect of it. Another aspect of it is oftentimes these kids are coached, groomed, you know, manipulated by when they, when they are 11, 12, and 13. You know, when you're 14, you can always come live with me. You can come live with me. You can come live with me. And by the time they're 14, if they don't do it, they feel like they're betraying that parent who's been coaching them for three years. So I've actually counseled 20-somethings who made that election several years ago, and they're still dealing with the words that they put on the affidavit. Mm. They're still dealing with, I lied. I signed something. I hurt my other parent because that's not really what I wanted to say. And probably, and I could, sorry, stop me when you need to. I could go on about this forever, but Probably the thing that I hate the most for these kids is they're kind of told, and I think adults misrepresent, they're told the child gets frustrated with dad and is told by mom, you can come live with me. All you have to do is come with me to my attorney's office, sign this paper, and you can live with me. And I've actually had kids tell me that. Well, that's all I have to do. And they have no idea that that only works if both parents agree, right? Mm -hmm. If the parent who doesn't want that to happen decides I'm going to file a motion in court trying to stop this, and then a guardian gets appointed and it's an 18-month court case, then I have the child in my office saying, had I known it was going to take all this time and create all this problem, I would have never signed that paper. So I've probably seen the worst uh, of the, these cases, but I think it's real important to understand what can happen to a child before you just start this journey. I've counseled a lot of parents to, just to sort of let it go and tell your child, I love you no matter what you put on that paper and we're going to be okay no matter where you live because otherwise you put this kid through a lot of hurt and pain. Mm, I, you know, I never had thought about the, that, that I had never heard that before that you've been counseling kids later and they are, they're regretting what they signed on that paper. Mm -hmm. um, that's a, that's a perspective I actually never really considered before. Yeah. Um, Cause, Oh, I'm never dealing with the kids later on. Um, right. Right. So that is, uh, wow, that's another example why everyone should be listening to your show. Hey, when we come back, we're going to continue to discuss this controversial statute. Okay, so we are going to wrap up our discussion right now about the statute in Georgia, which I, I think it's the only state that has this statute with a specific giving a 14 year old the specific right to elect which parent they live with. But I know that there's a lot of negatives out there that people don't think about. And Rick, I wanted to ask you, what other negative thing do you have concern about having this statute lurking out there to like parents that are going through a divorce? Yes. Well, one of the things I actually see happen is as soon as the divorce is over, 
the parent starts parenting with the 14-year-old election in mind. And consequently, they end up being a poor parent. They're trying to set up a win when the child turns 14, and they fail to become the parent this child really needs, the best Mm. possible parent. And that just makes long-term damage for the child and for the parent. Gives the 14-year-old, almost 14-year-old, a lot of power in the home (laughs) that he probably shouldn't have. You know, I've actually, I have really seen that. I've seen that where a parent had very strict rules um, for the best interests of the child. I mean, there was no question. There was boundaries in that household, and the other household did not have boundaries. Right. And I, I am confident that in the other household, the reason there were no boundaries, because they were trying to groom or manipulate or whatever the word you want to may use to get the child to elect to live with them. And in some cases, it was driven by a desire not to pay child support. I am convinced of that in, in just some of the cases I have had. I think you're being a, a little too generous, though, because I, I've also seen it where I just think that the lack of rules, that's just how that parent parented. And the children that I've seen, I agree with you. They they choose the path of least resistance. They want to yeah. live a certain lifestyle, and they know they can get away with more at one parent over the other. It's kind of almost a natural progression, right? They're going to lean in favor of that parent because they're going to have a, a much different, more fun lifestyle over there. So yeah. it's unfortunate. And Rick, you make a great point that, you know, I hadn't even thought about, which would be good advice to parents, that you need to be a parent or and a co-parent. Yes. So not just a single parent, but a co-parent. And you need to be thinking about your child, not who's having primary custody of your child. So one of the best a- advice I got when I was a, a young parent was if you try to make your child your friend, you'll lose them as an adult. Mm. But if you try to be a parent, then you'll have them as a friend as an adult. Mm. Uh, that's actually a great, <laughs> a great point. Um, yeah. Speaking of advice, let, let me, let me go in a different direction. Um, what advice would you give to a parent who suddenly finds out that their child or children have signed an election? Mm. Yeah, that's a tough one. It's painful. And I, I typically have that parent say to me, but I've been the parent that's hung in there with them, right? I've been the one that's been to all the activities and the school events and the homeroom parent and and whatever. So that's a really hard thing to hear from your child that I, I would rather live with the other parent. Too often, though, the child doesn't come to the parent and say that. It comes in the form of uh, a court motion, Thre- a subpoena, right, <laughs> or something or like th- that. Or a threat of litigation, right. Right, which is even more painful, and then they wonder why their child didn't talk to them about it. So what I say to parents who have that situation is as painful as it is, it's very, very important to sit down with your child and say, I understand, I'm, I'm not blaming you, you know, because... That's really hard for a child. I've counseled so many teenagers who they knew their mom or dad were getting the papers on a certain day Mm. and they stayed in their room and just kind of stewed about it, waiting for the phone call to come from the angry parent. And I can't think of a more stressful situation for a teen. And so I always advise that parent to immediately have a conversation, let them off the hook, say, hey, you're, you're only 14 and I don't expect you to know everything. And 
Don't worry about it. Whatever happens, we'll figure it out. And you and I are going to be okay. And I think that really kind of shows the child where the unconditional love really lies. Yeah. Mm. Look, one, one quick comment on that, though. I, I want to, from the legal point of view, that does not mean that you should just concede the point. No, and, and that depends on the circumstances. Right, exactly. I mean, yeah. you may be the parent who just got that notice, and you, in your heart of hearts, you know it's not the right thing for whatever yeah. reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, what I'm hearing you say, though, is that's not what you need to communicate to your child. Tell your child it's going to be okay. Right. Regardless of what happens, you and I are going to be okay. And then, of course, you call your attorney and you figure out what, if any, legal strategy you need to follow based on what you know about the other parent. Yeah, that's that's great advice. All right. I'm going to flip that question to you, Rick. Uh, And if you have a parent, a co-parent comes to you and says, my my child's expressed an interest in moving in with me primarily. Uh, I'm thinking about having him sign an election. What advice would you, and I'm assuming they're 14 or over, what advice would you give to that parent? What sort of cautionary tale might you give them uh, in light of what we talked about earlier? I think I would encourage the parent to have not just one, but several conversations with their child ongoing and make it clear, yes, I'll do this. I'll do what you think is best for you and I think is best for you. I'm willing to fight for you. Make that message clear, but also make it clear that this is not going to happen overnight, that that there will be a court case, that it will be hard. It may take a year and a half before anything is finally decided. And in encouraging the child with the, that kind of data to know what they really want. And then second, I would probably ask the parent to suggest or even consider the possibility of talking with the other parent about a trial run. Let's grant the child's wish for a little while, if we can do this and both agree on it and not go back to court, then maybe the child can get a better understanding of what it's going to be like rather than just what they imagine in their head. But I would say more than anything, I would want the parent to ask the child a bunch of questions about, well, if this doesn't work, what worries you the most? about this? What is it that you're concerned about that you're making this request? What do you want it to accomplish for you? And what are you afraid of if it doesn't work? Because those things can be addressed. Those emotional aspects of the fear and the worry can be addressed regardless of what happens with the court case. I love that, that you, you have them ask the question, like, what's Basically, what's driving this? Yeah. Um, because I have had, and I, I give huge kudos to this um, dad that I had as a client years ago. And they had, their child came to him. Basically, they'd done something wrong. And mom came really hard down on the child, really hard. And he thought it was a little too hard. Mm-hmm. Not that he didn't think the child should have some sort of punishment for what he did, Um but, the, you know, so the child said he wanted to live with him and he said, and, and he did, he actually had took, I, I think he talked to someone, I don't know who he did, but who gave similar advice. And that's when the child said, oh, well, mom's being too rough on me. And dad said, and he actually called me and we talked through it too, but he went back to his son and said, you know what? Um, I, you are not moving in with me. And this guy was paying a lot of child support. Let me add to that. You are not moving with me. If the reason you're moving out was because you did something wrong under mom's roof and she's now punishing you. 
you That's that good. is not a good reason to move out. Yep. And I love you too much to let you get away with breaking the rules. And Very good. Um, so, like I said, I gave this dad major kudos for holding the line on that because he could have saved, what, about $24,000 a year in paying child support. But I think that was the best long-term solutions for a son. So I love what you just said. And by the way, so Diana, Rick, thanks. First off, thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about your new podcast. Thanks for doing this podcast because I think this is extremely helpful for parents. We don't, Todd and I don't have the time to get into all these co-parenting issues. I mean, we touch on them all the time, but it's always from a legal perspective and you have a completely different, very helpful perspective. Mm-hmm. And before we go, cause we only have a few seconds left, tell everyone how they can reach out to you and get their questions answered on your show. Call our voicemail number at one, two, three, four dilemma, or email us at one, two, three, four dilemma at gmail.com. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you for having us. Yes, thanks for having us. And everyone, thanks so much for listening. We hope this episode was helpful to you. If you'd like to share your dilemma or tell us how something we said has benefited your situation, please call 1-234-DILEMMA. That's 234-362-3445 or email 1234dilemma at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Co-Parent Dilemmas wherever you get your podcasts and give us a favorable rating. That will make us more accessible to co-parents who are searching for help. Thank you for being part of our non-impossible family.